0: G'day again everyone, well I hope you remember back to last year when we started looking at the book of Acts, so uh, last year we got halfway through two really important books of the Bible, we got halfway through Acts, we got halfway through Romans, uh, so to start the year we're going to finish the book of Acts and then we're going to come back and finish the book of Romans after that and what we saw last, last year is how the book of Acts is really for the Christian our family history, it's our Ancestry.com results, uh, we are the end result of what is started here in the book of Acts. Uh, The growth of Christianity, historically speaking, the growth of Christianity is actually an amazing fact of history. Uh, It's actually unexplainable, humanly speaking. Uh, In the history of the world, there's been nothing like the spread of the church. One man, if you think about it, one man who never moved beyond about 100 kilometres from where he was born trained up and sent out 11 largely uneducated men and with 100, within a hundred years of his death, they had changed the world, they had reshaped history. Uh, and what made it incredible and what the historians can't quite, have, can't quite account for it, is it wasn't spread by military conquest, it wasn't spread by a, a government program. In fact, there is no reason, humanly speaking, why Christianity survived, let alone spread, Because it was opposed and it was persecuted from the very beginning. So, how did it happen? Uh, I was reading a non Christian historian writing about the spread of Christianity, uh, and he said in the end, it wasn't primarily because of political movements, it wasn't because of great strategies, it wasn't because of advertising campaigns. Instead, this is what he said, look up on the screen. He said, the primary means of its growth was through the united and motivated efforts of the Christian believers. Who invited their friends, relatives and neighbours to share the good news. Uh, Now he writes that with a tone of amazement, he's sort of saying this this doesn't make sense, how can something like this that that changed the world, that took over the world, how could it just happen by people finding out some good news and sharing it with, with the person next to it, that is not how world changing movements are meant to work. But we know, and we heard about it in a small way just before in that life interview, That is how God has chosen to save the world, God takes ordinary human beings and He spreads the message of salvation as we share the good news we have come to know and the book of Acts is the start of that story. So I've been really excited about getting back into Acts this term, I hope you're excited, I hope you get excited uh, after tonight about studying Acts because really the purpose of Acts I think is really simple, it's just to fire you up, that's its purpose, it's to fire you up as a Christian just to see how wonderful our God is and how wonderful what He has done is and how wonderful what He will continue to do is through the preaching of the Gospel. But of course we're up the story again halfway through so I want to start sort of like the TV shows do, you know like last week on Survivor, uh, well previously in the book of Acts and there's a few key things I've got to remind you of. So this is our previously and the key thing, the biggest thing, the event that, that, that changed the history of the world is that Jesus rose from the dead. That's how the book of Acts starts, with the resurrection of Jesus. And right at the start of the book, the risen Jesus appears to his disciples and he gives his disciples a mission. And that that mission statement is sort of the key verse to understand the book of Acts. And it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It'll come up on the screen. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now just from a, put yourself in those 11 men's shoes, so there are only 11 by then because Judas had, had done his thing and he'd, he'd committed suicide by now, he was gone, uh, they hadn't replaced Judas with Matthias, that's a little bit in the future and then Jesus says, I'm giving you a job, be my witnesses, Tell people about me, invite people to come and trust in me and so be saved. And he says, I want you to start at home, I want you to start in Jerusalem, that sounds achievable. Then he says, I want you to go to all Judea and Samaria, that's the the country around where they lived. But then after that, I don't know, what about about taking it to the ends of the earth? And so if you think about it, for 11, mainly men from Galilee, the the backwater of the backwater, if you like, uh, imagine how they're thinking. But what do they do? Well first of all Jesus says you don't have to do this alone, first of all Jesus says you know, that you won't be doing it alone, you'll do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just you, the Holy Spirit is going to go with you and as you preach the gospel, as you witness and share what you've heard me say and do, the Holy Spirit will be at work in people through the message you share. And so we saw the start of all that, we looked at chapters 1 to 12 last year, uh, they started preaching in Jerusalem and what happened? What happened when they started preaching in Jerusalem? something amazing happened. Thousands of people became Christians. Thousands were saved. It was incredible. The church just grew and grew and grew. It was like this, this incredible triumphalistic sort of, sort of movement but it was still just in Jerusalem and it was still just Jews who were hearing about Jesus. They, they were still really an irrelevancy. They hadn't gone out but then something happened. Something forced them to go and do what Jesus had told them to do. Do you remember what it was? What was it that forced them to leave Jerusalem? It was the fact that people started killing them. That'll do it. The fact that people started killing them. It was persecution. So Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death. Uh, James was the first of the apostles to die. And so when that happened, many of them fled. They, They ran away from Jerusalem. But wherever they fled, they kept talking. Uh, Someone, one of our preachers last year described it and they said it was like they tried to put out the fire by hitting it with a stick but all they did was explode the embers out from Jerusalem and because wherever they went they told people about Jesus. So in those first 12 chapters we saw, we started to see Acts 1 to 8 be fulfilled. The Gospel had gone to Jerusalem, it had gone to Samaria, it had gone to all of Judea and wherever it went people were believing in Jesus, people were being saved... But there was still just that little matter of the ends of the earth. Uh, you see the Christian faith was still, we read it and say thousands of people becoming Christians, imagine if you were there, how wonderful, it was still tiny. It was a tiny little Jewish movement in an irrelevant part of the world. Then two things happened, two things that don't just shape the rest of the Bible, they actually shape our world more than just about any other events in history. Two things, you remember what the two things were? The first was Peter discovered that people didn't have to become Jews to become Christians and it happened through a guy called Cornelius, a Gentile and he was the first Gentile to become a Christian but God showed Peter that Cornelius didn't need to get circumcised, didn't need to stop eating pork, didn't need to stop eating oysters and all the other things he used to love, no, you didn't need to become a Jew to become a Christian, that is a massive moment because from that, that, those first Jewish Christians then realised The gospel's not just for us, the gospel is for everyone. But then something even bigger happened, Saul or Paul as we've come to know him got converted. So this was the man who had been leading the killing of the Christians. So he had stood there holding people's cloaks for them so they could throw rocks and kill Stephen. So this was what he was but then on the road to Damascus where he was going to kill Christians, Jesus appears to him and he becomes a Christian and more than that God gives him the job of leading the charge of taking the gospel to the nations, to the ends of the earth. Think about it, it's a wonderful sort of irony in God's providence, he takes the Jew of Jews, he takes the most Jewish guy there is and he says you're the one who's got to take the gospel to the nations. So now at this point, end of Acts chapter 12, things are set to go off Uh, and that's where we're picking up the story. So in the first half of the book, Gospel's gone to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and Peter was the star, if you like, well actually it's the Holy Spirit as well but Peter was the main human player, now second half of the book, it's the story of the Apostle Paul and how the Gospel goes to the world. Now that has been a long introduction to get us back up to speed, so shake yourself off now, the person next to you's flag, give them a bit of a nudge, because now I want to pick it up at chapter 13. And I have to say, I challenge you over this next 10 or so weeks, as we look at the rest of the book of Acts, I challenge you, if you are a Christian, I challenge you to not get fired up and not get excited by what God does in the second half of the book of Acts. If you don't get fired up by it, I've, I've got nothing for you. So, come with me, chapter 13, I've called the first part, Sent by God. So in Acts 13, we pick up the story, we're in a place called Antioch, And it's in what we would call Syria, okay, so up above where where Israel is and a church has grown up there and and so Paul and Barnabas are two of the key leaders of this church. Now if you think about what a church to be a part of, so it, it talks about how they've got five prophets and teachers, two of them are Paul and Barnabas, possibly the two most famous preachers in history. So imagine being a part of that church But you wouldn't, after a while, very quickly, they moved on because God had different plans. Look at verse 2. It says, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. Now we immediately get hung up on the details. You know, when it says, The Holy Spirit said, we say, How did the Holy Spirit say it? What happened? Were they at church and there was a voice? out of nowhere? Did he appear in a vision to them all? Did they all just feel like this was the right thing to do? We just don't know but whatever happened, they understood God had a job for these two men. There's a thing just to note there and it's really important as we read the book of Acts, we need to remember this is not saying that is how God will speak to us and tell us how to make our decisions. There are some Christians who are always waiting for God's voice to do anything or only if I feel right is that God speaking to me that is not how God works the majority of the time God gives us his word the scriptures and he then gives us wisdom to understand the scriptures and he gives us brothers and sisters to help challenge us and and push us to think and make wise decisions but here at this vital moment of church history it's time for Barnabas and Paul to go tell the world about Jesus And it's really interesting, even though this is the Apostle Paul and even though they they think it's the Holy Spirit telling them this, they still pray about it, they still test it and the church there says, this is God's will, so we're going to send you. It's a wonderful moment actually, they lay their hands on them and send them on their way and I actually think this is one of those wonderful little insights into what a healthy church looks like. Uh, See, there's nothing sadder than people leaving a church for bad reasons. There's nothing sadder than people reading because of ungodliness, because of a dispute, because people can't get on, uh, or for no good reason at all. But on the other hand, there's nothing more magical, no better thing than sending people out for the good of the gospel. It hurts to send people out. This this congregation, here. I want to give you a bit of the history of your congregation you're a part of. Do you know this congregation started when there used to just be one morning congregation in our whole church and four people said, let's start meeting on a Sunday evening and pray some young people come. Do you know, isn't that amazing? So those four people, they could have been much more comfortable just going to their morning congregation, but they said, we want to be a part of, so we want young people to become Christians. So they started meeting in the hall over there and praying and look what God's done. And since then, this congregation just has this history of sending people out. Do you know that the church at Bexley North, the congregations over there? A few years back, seven people from this congregation went over there and started meeting. And that's how God grew the church at Bexley North. And then a, a bit more recently, about 10 people went from this congregation and started the 430 congregation at Bexley North. Much more comfortable to stay in the big congregation, but they said, no, 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 isn't that good? We can start a new congregation there where, where, where we can do something else for God. And that's exciting that Alistair is going to go and and be a part of that and encourage the saints there. But on an even bigger scale, how wonderful is it when we send people out to Tanzania or to to Paraguay? In a a few weeks, we're going to be laying our hands and we're going to do this at the big day out. Uh, We're going to lay our hands on Lama and we are going to send him to Vietnam where he is going to go and tell people about Jesus. Or you might remember when we laid hands on the McDowell's and sent them to Paraguay or, or sent the newbies to the Philippines or the Blows to Argentina. Before that, way, way back, the, the Turners to Tanzania. Uh, much, we, we sort of, there's a part of us that thinks, wouldn't it be nice to have those people here at church with us? And I reckon the church at Antioch thought, we're losing Paul and Barnabas. But how good to let people go, because that is what a healthy church does it sends people out for the cause of the gospel. So with the blessing of their church, Paul and Barnabas head off and they sail to Cyprus. I've got a map, it's probably too small for you to see, but it will give you the gist. Uh, So that's the Mediterranean, at the top is Turkey. They're up in Antioch, up uh, above where Jerusalem is, and they sail across to the island of Cyprus. So off they go and wherever they went, what they would do is they would start by going to the synagogue. Because the Gospel is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So what they would do is they would preach the Gospel to the Jews, once they've given them a chance to come to know Jesus, their Messiah, they then go and share it with Gentiles. I imagine that's most of us, most of us are not from a Jewish background. But they get to a place called Paphos and that's where the story then sort of focuses in on two people they want us to meet. So they met Sergius Paulus, he was like the governor Of this area, it says he was an intelligent man, I love those little details, he was an intelligent man who wanted to hear God's message, that's a promising start. Uh, I think it's making the point, it's not saying you have to be intelligent to be a Christian, Uh, some of us are very thankful for that, but some of the smartest people in the world are Christians, some of the not smartest people in the world are Christians, some of the smartest people in the world are not Christians because it's not intellect that, that saves, it's the work of the Spirit and it's actually wisdom, fearing the Lord and coming to know the Lord. But he's an intelligent man, I think it's making the point, he was smart enough to realise these guys are worth listening to. Straight away, there was op- opposition though, because there was a sorcerer there, a Jewish false prophet called Bar Jesus. That is the most ironic name for, for some, in just about history, because it literally means son of salvation or son of Jesus, son of Salvation. But he doesn't live up to his name because he had another name which is Elymas or or the sorcerer and he is determined he is not going to let Sergius hear about Jesus. Paul could not let that happen. Look at verse 9. Then Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at the sorcerer and said, you son of the devil... Full of all deceit and all fraud, enemy of all righteousness, won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? It's powerful stuff, isn't it? And he doesn't just verbally condemn this guy. He then does say it's actually a bit disconcerting what he does. Uh, In the New Testament, it's very rare to see a miracle of judgment. Think about all the miracles Jesus did and all the miracles the apostles did, they're nearly always healing they're helping a lame person walk, they're helping a blind person see, here they make a seeing person blind. So why is Paul so strong? Why such a strong word and an act of judgment? I'm sure there would have been people around saying, hey Paul, be a bit more gentle with this guy, why is he so strong? Because this man was stopping people hearing about Jesus. There is no worse thing There is no worse thing a person can do than stop someone hearing about Jesus, because that is stopping someone finding salvation. It's the equivalent, if you like, of barring the fire exits when a building is on fire. That's why Paul calls him a son of the devil. It is Satan's work To stop people hearing about Jesus. That is what Satan exists to do. That is his his primary job, his primary mission in life is to lead people away from Christ. Sometimes he does that through the occult, things like this sorcerer in, in Cyprus. More often though, he does it just through the mundane things of life. What do you reckon are Satan's biggest weapons today in our culture? I reckon it's busyness, technology, Sport, money, making us care what what people think about us. He used them all to distract us from hearing about Jesus, from trusting in Jesus, from listening to God's Word. That is the devil's work. Sometimes, though, the devil does it through people. People who come into the church and, and try to throw doubt on sound doctrine, try to breed division, try to lead people away from the firm foundation of the gospel. Sometimes, and I praise God, it's only been rare in my ministry here, sometimes it's necessary to say to a person, you are not welcome here. Sounds wrong, you know, church signs always say, all welcome, but sometimes it's right to say, you are, whether you'd use this word or not, you are a son of the devil. You are trying to lead people away from from Christ and for the protection of God's people and so that other people can hear about Jesus, you need to leave. But here, As soon as Paul removes the distraction, this intelligent man, Sergius, considers the claims of Jesus, he believes and he's saved. And it is just a wonderful moment, I think. I want you to understand how massive this is. Uh, Cornelius was already a God-fearer. He was already, he already knew there was one God, it was the God of the Old Testament. He just wanted to know the Messiah. This guy was starting from nothing. This was like your average Australian punter, if you like. This is the first drop in the ocean of the gospel going to all people. But it also reminds us wherever the gospel is preached there will be opposition. The gospel is always a word of salvation to those who listen and believe but a word of judgment to those who refuse to listen. Let's move on. Uh, Acts only gives us the highlights package of what happened in Cyprus, lots more people became Christians there but we don't read about it here, the story moves on and I've called this next part, God's work of salvation and this is that really long part that Benny read for us before. I'm going to deal really quickly with this part because I spent far too long on last week in the book of Acts. So, but if you look at the map again, from Cyprus now they sail up to what we would call Turkey. And just to confuse everyone, they go to another town called Antioch, but it's a different town. So this one is called Pisidian Antioch, Uh, so they'd come from Antioch in Syria, this is Antioch in Pisidia. And again, what do they do? They go to the synagogue first, because the Gospel is first for the Jews. And after the Bible readings, from what we would call the Old Testament, they look at Paul and they go, this guy's a rabbi, he was quite famous... He was known as a Jewish teacher uh, and they say, do you have a word of encouragement to share? I reckon from about two minutes later they have never regretted anything as much as that. Every so often we have an open mic here at church and every so often I say to Troy afterwards, why do we let that person have the microphone? Well that that is what is going on here. Paul just grabs the opportunity with two hands. Now, it's a really long speech, just, flag, just sort of go through there from verses 16 to 41. We haven't got time to read it through in detail. I'd love you to go and reread it yourself after tonight. But its main point is really simple. Paul is saying to these Jewish people, he says, you know those books you read in your synagogue? You know the law, books like Genesis and Exodus? You know, you know all that history of Israel? You, you know the prophets with all those promises of God that you read each week? He says, well, the one they are all pointing to, the one who fulfills all those promises, he has come. He says, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the promised one, the Christ, the Messiah. And then Paul tells them that even though they killed Jesus when he came, God raised him from the dead and now he offers forgiveness and eternal life to anyone who will listen and believe in him. Look at how it finishes off there in verse 38. It's the key sort of summary verse. He says therefore let it be known to you brothers that through this man, that is Jesus, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you and everyone who believes in him is justified from everything you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. It's just one of those wonderful sort of encapsulations of the gospel. Believe in Jesus and you can be forgiven believe in Jesus and something that can happen that your works could never do see he says it couldn't happen through the law he's saying you couldn't deal with your sin you couldn't fix the problem of your sin the important word there is justifies remember when we were studies in Romans last year it means he declares us innocent God says I am declaring you innocent not because you've earned it not because you deserve it no just because of Jesus who died in your place That is the message Paul preached right from the beginning, that is the message I pray we have all heard and believed and that is the message we want to share with other people. And just like us, many of the people there did believe, lots of the people were intrigued, they were interested. If you look at verse 42, this is the preacher's favourite verse, verse 42, because lots of the people were begging them to come back and tell them more. So that, it's like you were begging me for a longer sermon And, and so the following Sabbath, It says, almost the whole town shows up to listen. Now, at this moment, we're thinking, isn't this amazing? This this evangelism thing's easy, isn't it? You know, this this mission thing, it's just one success after another. They go to one place, there's converts, they go to another place. Then something happens, and it's the same thing that happened in Cyprus. And it's the same thing that happens wherever the gospel is preached. Opposition rose up. Persecution starts. And on this occasion, it was the Jews, obviously the ones who hadn't believed, uh, they get jealous, they start yelling insults. But do you notice how Paul and Barnabas aren't surprised? They say, even your rejection is part of God's plan. Look, look from verse 46. It says, then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, it was necessary that God's message be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. You so see what he's saying there? He's saying, you've had your chance was right for us to tell you about Jesus first, he's your Messiah, he's your Saviour, but now that you reject him, we're going to tell everyone else. And don't blame God, there's a great line there, a really hard line really, you considered yourselves unworthy of eternal life. When a person rejects Jesus, they're saying, I don't want the gift God is offering. They're saying, I, I'm not going to accept the gift of eternal life. And so now Paul turns to the Gentiles and for the first time, this is, this is the start of us for most of us. For the first time, there is a widespread conversion of all the nations, non-Jews. Look at how he describes it in verse 48. He says, When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the message of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. As I say, this is a wonderful moment. This is you and me, Gentiles being included in God's people, not just one man, not just Cornelius, not just Sergius, this is where sort of the doors opened and the floodgates opened and the the water rushed through where everyone could find God's forgiveness, everyone could find salvation. I just want to focus though for a second on what he says there in verse 48, look at it again, Because if we were, if this was an interview at the Big Day Out and we were talking about the wonderful things that happened at the life course or something, we would expect someone to say something like, and all those who were convinced about the truth about Jesus believed. He doesn't say that. Do you see what he says? He says, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. What's that mean? This is that wonderful truth of the Bible we call the doctrine of predestination. Uh, On the one hand, we are 100% responsible for our decision we make about Jesus. People who reject the gospel are rejecting it. They are responsible for that decision. Those Gentiles here, though, who chose to believe, they are responsible for that decision. They make the decision. They are responsible for that decision. But at the same time, God was at work. God is in control. And before the beginning of time, he has appointed those he would who would believe and find salvation now modern minds often complain and say how does that work it's not logical doesn't that make me a a robot you know if it's all God's work but the Bible is very clear in passages like this we are responsible for our decisions if we reject Jesus that's our decision we face the consequences if we believe in Jesus that's our decision but overarching it all God is sovereign God is in control he predestines or elects all those he will save. And can I say, every Christian, once they've been a Christian for a while, realises the truth of this. Because you realise, actually I wouldn't have chosen Jesus if His Holy Spirit hadn't been at work in me. Remember what we saw last week in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our sins but He has made us alive. Every Christian, often people struggle with this when they first become a Christian but then over time they realise, no this is true because actually it was the work of God in me who was drawing me to faith in Jesus. But please understand this correctly, because this throws some people, they worry, what if I'm not appointed to eternal life? How do I know who's appointed by God? How do I know who isn't? The Bible never encourages that sort of thinking. God's word says, if you believe in Jesus and you trust him and you know that he is your Lord and you are persevering in your faith, know this, God has appointed you. God is at work in you. The sign of God's choice, the sign of God's election is that you trust in Jesus. And do you notice how Paul and Barnabas didn't wander around the crowds trying to work out, I wonder if that person, I wonder if that person is, they didn't look and say they've got a barcode somewhere on a tattoo or, or he looks like someone who might make a good Christian or she looks like someone who, no, they told everyone about Jesus. And as people responded, they just thanked God that God had worked through their efforts To save his people and that's why I want us to take away from the start of this series in the second half of Acts God has given us his people a mission that's what Paul and Barnabas understood and I pray we all understand it God has given us a mission which is to share Jesus and his offer of forgiveness with everyone whether they are a Jew or a Gentile whether they are male or female whatever else divides humanity everyone it's not our job to discriminate It's not our job to decide who needs to hear about Jesus, it's our job to tell everyone and then God will use that faithful sharing of the gospel and he will use that to save a people for his very own. My prayer out of the start of this series in Acts is that God might use my feeble words and he might use your faithful witness just like he used Paul and Barnabas all those years ago. Let's pray that he would do that, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father we thank you Uh, for this beginning of the church that we read about in the book of Acts. We thank you that your gospel is powerful to save. And we thank you that you have worked through people following on from Paul and Barnabas to bring the gospel even to us here in Australia. And so, Father, as people who know your forgiveness and know the Lord Jesus, we pray that you might use our efforts and our words to see other people come to find the forgiveness we have come to know.